Last week of Passover, or excuse me, of the Festival of Tabernacles, it's still the last day. Jesus is still in the temple courts, and he's still teaching. He's issued these two invitations to the crowd that's listening to him, and it's only Jews at this point. The place where he is, it's the court of women. It's that lower little square there, and so only Jews were allowed in there. Jewish men and women were both allowed in that, in that area. Then he has said to them, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Anyone uh, who believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within that person. And then he also says, I'm the light of the world, and if you follow me, you'll never walk, walk in darkness, but you'll have the light of life. So he's made these two statements, these two invitations for people to come to him. And there's some Jews who are beginning to believe in him. And this week and next week, we'll still, we'll, we will see Jesus address that group of starting to believe Jews directly. And the way he addresses them is not necessarily how we would think you would address some people who are beginning to believe in you. But he goes, he goes kind of directly at them. All of his words are well chosen. Nothing is random. And I think as we're, as we're reading through this section, maybe just keep in mind what I hear. I don't know if it's what you'll hear. What I hear is an invitation to deeper relationship as well as a challenge to them. So he's challenging them in some areas where, um, there, where there's some misunderstanding, some misconceptions, and he's challenging them to, um, to look at some beliefs that they hold and to, and to, and to make, make, make some changes. And he does the same thing to us. He's always inviting us deeper, and he's always challenging us in areas where maybe we're not fully aligned with who he is or with what he's saying. So I would encourage you to hear this with those ears. So to the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the invitation that I hear. They answered Jesus, we're Abraham's descendants that have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to the family forever. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you're doing what you've heard from your father. Abraham's our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, and you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I've come from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you don't belong to God. So we've gone from Jews believing in him to Jews not belonging to God in 17 verses. So what's going on there? Again, I, what I hear in Jesus, I don't know that it's frustration. Maybe there's some frustration there. Desperation's a tough word, but that's kind of what I hear. I, I think he's really wanting them to get it, and they're not getting it. 
He wants them to recognize their spiritual condition, their, their state, their relational state with God, and they're not understanding him. He's been at this now for about two and a half years, and he's not getting a ton of traction with his own people. Remember way back in John 1, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. And that's what we're seeing here. His own, the Jewish people, they're not recognizing him. He's used different pictures and different metaphors. He's, he's performed signs. He's taught in, uh, directly. He, he's tried everything to try to get them to see who he is and where they are relative to God. Just in the, on this last day of the festival, he said, listen, if you're thirsty, come to me and I can satisfy your thirst. If you're walking in the darkness, come to me and I'm the light and you don't have to walk in the darkness anymore. Now he's using a different image. You're, you're in slavery to sin and I can set you free. They're not hearing him. He's inviting them into deeper relationship. If you really hold to my teachings, what the NIV says, a more literal translation is if my word remains in you. It's that idea again where salvation is not a, it's not a, it's not a transaction a one-time decision. It's an ongoing relationship. If my word remains in you, then you'll really be my disciples. Whatever you believe, that's okay. It's just not enough. If my word will remain in you, then you'll really be my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and that truth will set you free. And their response is, we're not slaves. Jesus challenges them on four core convictions that they have, trying to get them to see you. Three times last week, we saw Jesus said, you're going to die in your sins, and they never grab onto that statement. They pick up on some other things Jesus is saying, that truth, you're going to die in your sins. These guys are righteous and devout Jews. They've been in Jerusalem for eight days, observing them to think that they're not in right relationship with God. It's, it, it doesn't click. It doesn't compute. They can't fathom that. You're free but you're not. And they're going, we, we know we're free. We've always been free. We're God's chosen people. A courtyard and we can see the Roman guards. We know we're under oppression now. We know all of that. Politically, nationally, we may have never been free, but we're the, his treasured possession. You're in slavery to sin. Everyone who sins, and a Jew would absolutely say temple setup is based around offering those sins that you're committing. And they're saying, no, we're free because of our biology, because all. You being a disciple right now. Slaves, slaves can't receive any different. They have a plan set you free. You're truly family, and he can conf- You need to receive not right. He's there. The thing Abraham healed. You're not, not even God's children. You're actually, you're children of the devil. Why, can, why would he say that? Because... I'm sent by God. If you loved God, then you would love me and you would listen to me because the words I'm speaking are the words that he's given me to speak. He said that repeatedly. And you continue to resist and you continue to reject. You're rejecting the truth. You're believing a lie. And who is the father of lies? That's the devil. And so that makes you one of his children because you're rejecting the truth in exchange for a lie. All the way back to Genesis 3, the first time we see the devil in the Bible, he's telling this lie. To Adam and Eve, you surely won't die. That's what he says. God says you can eat of any of these trees you want, but you can't eat of that one because if you eat of that one, that day you're going to die. And the devil in the form of a serpent, whatever in the world that looks like, slithers up to Adam and Eve and he says to them, you surely won't die. And that's the same lie that these Jewish people are believing. They don't believe Jesus when he says you're going to die in your sins. They believe that they're okay. It's the same lie that billions of people have believed since then. You're okay. 
You're not gonna die in your sins. You're, in a right, you're, you're good. Everything's okay. Or there is no afterlife. Whatever those lies are that, that say, you don't need to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You're not hanging, your sin is not gonna result in death. What Jesus is saying is it's going to. And what the enemy says is that's not true. It's a great tactic on his part. You knock out billions and billions of people right off the top. You convince them that there is no danger. Who needs a savior if, if, you don't, if you're not in danger? Who needs to be rescued if they don't realize they're drowning? So right off the top, this lie, surely you won't die. That's what these Jews are believing, and that's what Jesus, I think, desperately, in the best sense of that word, is trying to get them to see. You're thirsty. I'm the answer. You're walking in darkness. I'm the answer. You're in slavery to sin. I'm the answer. Got, you've got to see that I'm the answer, and they're not getting it. And so by the end, Jesus is saying, it's not just that you don't believe me. You don't belong to God anymore. My word needs to remain in your heart. There's no room in your heart for my word. So whatever it is that you believe is not enough. It's not sufficient because you're not believing these key things, capital T truths, that I'm the Messiah and that you need me because you're going to die in your sin. So for us, in the few minutes that we have left, what does it look like for us to begin to say, I want to move from bondage to freedom? Jesus died to set us free. You've heard that phrase before. And so how do we begin to operate or walk in that freedom in our own life? The first thing we have to do is acknowledge that we're in slavery and that Jesus is the only one that can rescue us. And we see that here in this passage, the Jews are not able to do that. They're not able to agree with Jesus that they're actually enslaved to their sin and they don't agree that Jesus is the way out. They think they're free because of their connection to Abraham. And what Jesus is trying to say is you're a slave and I'm the only one who can rescue you. So that's, that's foundational. If we can't get there, then we can never walk in freedom. So the first thing for us is to acknowledge that we're slaves to sin. Paul says the same thing, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus says everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And so if all have sinned and everyone who sins is a slave to sin, that means we're all slaves to sin, every one of us. No, no, every one of us is in slavery and bondage to sin unless and until we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And that can be a hard thing to admit if we feel pretty good about our lives. I don't feel like I'm in slavery. I kind of do what I want. I don't feel this drive to, you know, I'm not killing anybody. I'm not stealing anything. What about your temper? What about your thought life? What about your tongue, the things you say about other people? Are, are you willing to say that in every area of your life, at all times and in all ways, you're perfect? That's what it would mean to be without sin. It would mean to be perfect. Nobody's owning that that I know. It could be a hard step for us to go from I sin to I'm a slave to sin, but what Jesus teaches is if we sin, then we are a slave to sin. And so the first step is for us to realize that because when we realize we're slaves, then we realize we're helpless. If we think sin is this thing that we can manage and control on our own, then we don't recognize our need for a savior. But realizing that we're in bondage to sin, that we're actually slaves to sin, then puts us in a position to say, I need help. And that's when Jesus can step in and say, I'm the one that can, the son can set you free. And then you can be truly free. This goes beyond behavior modification. This goes beyond just trying harder to do better. 
This goes beyond just trying to avoid situations where you may be tempted to sin. This is truly being set free in the the core of who you are so that your will that is bent towards sin is now bent towards righteousness. He does that. That's what it means to become a new creation in Jesus. Can you admit that you're a slave to sin and that only Jesus can save you? And many of you have done that, and but we can continue to wrestle with the power of sin in our life. So just step back real quick. What it means to be set free from sin, there's two elements. One is we're set free from the penalty of sin, and the penalty of sin is death. We just sang that song. That was the last song that we sang. Paul says the wages of sin is death, and because of Jesus' death, we don't have to die. He died in our place. If the wages of sin is death, so I sin, therefore I have to die, unless someone dies in my place. And that was Jesus. And so I can put my faith and my trust, and I can say to God, I recognize that I'm a sinner, and I'm going to receive the, the, the payment that you made for my sins, which is the life of your son. And that way, and now I don't have to spiritually die, and that benefit is conferred to me immediately when I repent of my sins and, again, put my trust in Jesus. And if I have a heart attack in the next, with the next breath, I'm going to live forever with him. That's an immediate benefit that's conferred upon us. And when we talk about being saved, that's what many of us think about. I'm going to live forever with Jesus. I'm not going to burn in hell. Yes, he saves us from the penalty of sin, but he also saves us from the power of sin. And this is where a lot of us get tripped up. We don't realize that we can actually be free from sinful thoughts and sinful behaviors. We're fallen people, and so we think, well, I'm just going to have to continue to kind of struggle and wrestle along for the rest of my life, and that's not completely true. Jesus sets us free from the power of sin, this compulsion to act contrary to the will of God, but it is progressive. It's not immediate. The the theological word is sanctification. It's this process of being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus, of becoming more holy in our character, sinning less, choosing righteousness more. We're never going to be perfect. That's not it. That's the goal, but none of us are ever going to reach that. Jesus says in Matthew, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're not going to get there. There's no, no, no sinless perfection for any of us, but there is growth weekly, monthly, yearly in becoming more like Jesus. It's a progressive reality for us. The danger for many of us on one hand is we hear that and we think, okay, I just got to work really hard. So the goal is for me to become as much like Jesus as possible before I die. That's Romans 8, 29. And so I've just got to grip my teeth and do my best. What Paul would say to you is who's bewitched you. That's what he says to the Galatians. Having begun in the spirit, are you trying to finish in your flesh? Just like we receive salvation as a gift of grace, So this sanctification, this progressive work of God is also a gift of grace. God does the work in us. We don't grit our teeth and try to become holy. It doesn't work that way. The other ditch is I'm never going to grow. I'm never going to improve. I am who I am. And that's just, and I'm just going to muddle along until I die. Neither one of those is helpful. Both of those are ditches on the side of the road where you want to stay and where I want to stay is recognizing that while we're called to holiness. And so we want to move in that direction in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength, not in our own flesh. 
Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling and realize it's God who works in you and through you. Both of those things are true. There's a sense in which you're already holy because of your connection to Jesus. We've become his righteousness, and yet we want to continue to become holy. It's this interesting tension in the New Testament. Become who you already are. It can be confusing for some of us, and what I want to do is try to, in the couple of minutes that we have left, just get right down kind of on in your kitchen and just say, think about your own life. Think about your own life. We've all sinned, and we all continue to sin. We're all falling short of the glory of God in some area or another. Most likely, in one of those areas, if we were honest, we would say, I feel a little bit like I'm a slave. Even if we're Christians, we would say, I feel a little bit like a slave. I almost feel compelled in this area to sin. It's, I can't imagine not giving in to that temptation. It almost Some of these things are almost a reaction. They just come out of me. And I may be able to do okay for a day or, or even a week, but I know eventually I'm going to lose my temper or eventually I'm going to go to that website or eventually I'm going to trash that person behind their back. Whatever that area is in your own life where you're thinking, that's the one I don't want anybody to know about. That's my, maybe we would say in kind of secular terms, that's my Achilles heel. It's this area where sin does seem to have a grip on me, even as someone who's following Jesus, who has a Holy Spirit living within him or within her. The sin seems to, it seems to own me in this area. And what I want to encourage you with this morning is that doesn't have to be the case. Prior to you coming to Jesus, sin was an inevitability. You were going to sin. Whether you wanted to or not, and oftentimes, if we're honest, we, did, we wanted to. We enjoyed that behavior. But even if we tried to resist, our, our wills were just too weak. Once we become Christians, John tells us that the one who lives in us is greater than the one who's in the world. And so sin is not an inevitability. We're going to sin, but we don't have to if you can hear that in your mind. And so I want to say that to encourage you. You can be set free from whatever that sin is in your life. Jesus sets you free from the power of sin. And he can do that in these moments that we, few moments that we have left here this morning. So I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to read you something from Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. This is Paul. It's, a, it's the same truths that Jesus just taught, but uh, just using some slightly different terminology. So in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Paul says, because you're not under the law but under grace, what John would say is, for sin shall no longer be your master because the Son has set you free. So the Son has set you free. Sin is no longer your master. So don't give Don't offer any part of yourself back to sin. It doesn't own you anymore. Jesus does. 
but we continue to offer parts of ourselves back to sin. And so let's close with this prayer. And I want you to pray it in your own heart. Bo, you can come on back up if you would. I want you to just ask the Lord this. God, is there any part of myself that I am actively offering to sin? Is there any part of myself? And maybe even specifically say this. God, am I offering my mind to sin? Am I allowing sin to reign in my mind? And you, you can think about that, everything from doubt and unbelief to fear and anxiety and worry to to lust and arrogance. God, am I offering my heart to you? Excuse me, God, am I offering any, any part of my heart to sin? Am I allowing sin to reign in my heart? That could be holding someone in judgment when God is said to forgive. It can be holding on to wounds in your own life and kind of allowing those things to become part of your identity versus asking God and allowing Him to bring healing into those areas. Be sitting in... You can think of the others. God, I'm offering any part of my body to sin. Is there any part of my body that I'm offering to sin? You can think of all of those behaviors that we engage in that are wicked. Just ask Him that. If you bring something to your mind, I want to encourage you just to confess that to Him and to repent of that sin. And then to ask Him by His grace, by the power of His Spirit, to deliver you from that sinful pattern of thinking or behaving. God, I confess that fill in the blank. And I want to repent of fill in the blank. And I acknowledge before you that that sin has a hold on me and in my own strength, I don't have a shot at being free. But I'm so thankful that Jesus, you can and will set me free. And I'm asking you to do that now by the power of your spirit. Would you deliver me Would you deliver me? Would you set me free from fill in the blank? You're going to have to walk that out. The Holy Spirit's not going to choose for you, but he will empower you to follow him. So here's what we're going to do. We have just a couple of minutes. We have negative minutes. So here's what we're going to do. If you're on the ministry team, please come forward. We're going to take three extra minutes. We'll be done at 11.03. And we want to pray. And this can be a difficult thing to acknowledge, but recognize... We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person in this room has areas where we need to say, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Sin has a grip on me in this area. We want to give you an opportunity in faith to come forward as an act of faith and say, God, would you deliver me in this area? And so that's what these guys are going to pray for you, just very simply, that God would break the power of that sin in your life. So y'all can stand. I will close on these last couple of minutes with worship. Please come forward. I know it can be difficult with so many people on your road, but fight the traffic and come forward and, and receive prayer. And Bo will dismiss us in a couple of minutes. Go ahead.